experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. This past weekend, I took my daughter and her friend to, to a place called Funland. It's a small amusement park, and most of the rides are for the smaller kids, but they do have a few for the bigger kids like myself. And one of my favorites is called the Super Flipper 360. <laughs> Sounds fun, right? Well, you get into this astronaut-like chair, not like Branson and Bezos did, but you get in the chair, you strap yourself in, and the ride proceeds to throw you up in the air, flip you around a few times, spins you in circles. Well, you get the idea. Actually, I find it strangely relaxing. Part Part of it's because I know the possibility of an adverse outcome is rather remote, so I don't really sweat it. I just enjoy it. Let me draw some sort of parallel with the market here. On occasion, the market is going to flip you in the air. It's going to spin you around a few times, may even make you feel sick. But if you have a well thought out, diversified portfolio, you're probably going to be okay in the long run. And I'm going to be talking about asset allocation and diversification here in just a little bit. As a matter of fact, you can even use those times to your benefit. In other words, when the markets are in turmoil, you can find opportunities. I haven't seen it lately, but it could be coming. We had a small tantrum just a couple of weeks ago, but the market didn't even draw down 5% before we bounced right back. So I'm still waiting for my opportunity. There's, there's really no other way to say it, but the market, as I see it, the market as a whole is expensive. The S&P 500 trading more than a couple of standard deviations above its long-term average. It's more than 30 times trailing earnings and more than 21 times expected earnings for the next year. Either we're going to get a decent pullback or we're going to bounce around here until earnings have a chance to catch up. Or there could be a combination of the two, like ordering half iced tea and half lemonade. That's the third option. And that's what I'm going to go with. Door number three, a reset in prices and earnings continue to impress. We'll have a better look at earnings this week. It's the busiest week for the second quarter earnings season. And we're going to get results from 169 different companies that represent almost 50% of the S&P's market cap. So it's a big week. We're going to see numbers out from Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, I own three of the five. And so far, around 25% of the S&P 500's market cap has reported, and earnings have beat estimates by uh, by over 18%. That was driven by big numbers from the financials. Better still, 86% of the companies that have already reported have beat projections. That's great. One of those is Intel, the stock I own for myself and for clients, you know, I eat my own cooking. They announced last week and numbers look pretty good. Earnings, including their stock compensation, came in at 
$1.28, which was well above what they said they would earn. Revenue, same thing. They kept their guidance about the same for, well, third quarter guidance is about the same. So I think people were a little bit disappointed there. Intel was for a very long time, a pretty steady eddy type of investment. But over the last year, last couple of years, it hasn't been well managed. Just hasn't. They've fallen behind on the innovation execution curve. They've had what I would call a brain drain where their top talent has left. A lot of it has. They've lost market share in the data center data, data center category. And as a result, the stock hasn't gone anywhere for the last well, two or three years. Neither have their earnings for that matter. So why am I talking about Intel? Symbol INTC. Because I think it's a decent turnaround story here, but you need to be patient. This is by no means a broken company, but it is a company that's in need of repair. That's for sure. I think they have a lot of opportunity from an execution standpoint. Right now, they're trading at about nine times earnings, which is at the low end of their historical range, paying more than a decent 2.6% dividend. They have a great balance sheet and they generate a significant amount of free cash flow. Actually, the stock is trading about 10 times free cash flow, which I think is extremely cheap. I think Intel's a buy right here at 52. In my opinion, if you're patient, this is probably an $80 stock in the next couple of years. But, you know, only time will tell. Again, it's all there for them. I think they just have to wake up one morning and tie their shoes correctly and the stock will start moving. But remember, you have to do your own research. Make sure it's right for you. Just don't take my word for it or anybody else's word for it. You know, get in there, dig around, find out if it's a right, right for your portfolio. Another stock that I own is Raytheon, symbol RTX. And they took off after, their, uh, after they reported their quarterly uh, results, pun intended, took off. They make jet aircraft engines. They beat on revenue and earnings just like Intel did. Solid beats, both top and bottom line. But when it came time to look at the cash that they generated, well, they just blew that number out of the water. They generated $966 million, almost a billion dollars in free cash flow. And they used $632 million of it, or about 65%, to buy back stock. If you've listened for a while, you've probably heard my thesis on uh, Raytheon. But here's the quick version. Raytheon is basically half defense contracting and half jet aircraft engines. It's the only company in the sector that's balanced this way, 50-50, about 50-50. The others are usually heavily skewed one way or the other. So that's why I like Raytheon is because of that equal balance. The defense side is usually going to be steady eddy type business. And the jet engines usually are too, or have become more so over the years unless you have a pandemic and then not so much. But the good news is, is Pratt & Whitney, their sales were up 21% for the quarter. So things are coming back as things open up again, people start to travel. When I first bought this one, I thought it was going to be worth around $90. And from what I'm seeing now, I'm going to say it's probably worth a bit more, maybe 100 But with the stock trading at 90, if I think it's worth 100, well, that doesn't really give me enough reward to go ahead and buy it or add to it. So 
If you own it, I say keep it. That's what we're going to do. Let's switch gears here and talk about the portfolio management side of things. I said earlier that if you have a well-diversified portfolio, you'd probably be okay over the long run. But what does that mean? How much should you have in stocks, bonds, and cash? I like to talk about having three different buckets of money. The first bucket is the money that you need for emergencies, the money that you're going to need in the short term. When I say short term, I mean within the next three years or so. That money, that shouldn't be invested. That's the money you know is going to be there when you need it. That money needs to be tucked away in a savings account, a money market, maybe even a couple of CDs or what have you. Now, reality is, is you're going to earn diddly squat on that money, but it is what it is. You just want to make sure that money's going to be there when you need it. Then there's the investment accounts and the much longer term retirement accounts. These are the ones that you're going to be investing and you're investing to meet your more intermediate or longer term needs like intermediate, buying a house, longer term retiring. And I'm always asked, well, what's the right allocation to have in these accounts? And there isn't one answer. There isn't the right answer. The answer is the one that's going to best meet your needs. And only you're going to be able to know that by having a good, solid financial plan in place. So folks just go, some folks out there, they just go by the old rule of thumb, which I don't recommend. I don't think it's a great idea. But the rule is, is you take 100, you subtract your age, and that's how much you should have in equities or stocks. But let's think about this for a second. If you're 55 years old, so if you use this rule, you take 100 minus 55, well, that's 45, even I can do that math. If you use the old rule of thumb, you would have 45% of your portfolio in stocks and 55% in income. Is that going to work? Let's do some rough math here. About half of your portfolios in stocks, right? So let's presume you're getting market type returns. Let's just say 7%. And then the other half is in income investments. And that's going to generate probably about 2 to 3% because interest rates are so low. That means combined, your portfolio is averaging about what? Maybe 5% a year, maybe. This is all hypothetical, of course, but you get the idea. You have a portfolio that's generating 5% a year. Is a 5% rate of return enough for you? Well, it might be. Some people have the game won already, and all they really need to do is protect what they have. Other people, well, they may need more. And we haven't even talked about inflation. Inflation's been averaging just less than 2% over the last 10 or 20 years. Let's just call it 2%. So, If the cost of living is increasing by 2% every year and you're getting 5% on your portfolio, what's really happening is you're only increasing your purchasing power or the amount of stuff that you can buy by 3% a year. Now, this is something you need to think about. This is something that you need to account for in your financial plan. My point is, is to come up with the right asset allocation for you for you and your family, you need to have a good plan in place. Once you have that, you'll be able to decide how much you should have in stocks, 
bonds in income. And once you know what your portfolio needs to do for you, basically to get you from where you are to where you want to be, you can start working backwards. You can look at what bonds have averaged historically. You can look at what stocks have averaged over time. And then you can come up with a somewhat reasonable allocation. But you need to know what's going to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Then you can do that work backwards. What I would say is that I haven't bought a lot of bonds over the last several years just because they aren't paying enough. Just to tell you that with low interest rates, the savers have really been punished. Instead of the typical 60-40 allocation you, you hear a lot about, for me, it's been more like an 80-20 baseline and adjust it from there based off of the client's preference and, and needs. If you need help, give us a call. Number's 301-770-5234. Always, the help, always happy to help you with the plan. Let's talk a little bit about the composition. You've decided how much you need in cash, right? That's pretty straightforward. You know what's what's going to happen in three or within the next three years. You have a good idea. You know how much you want for emergency. Okay, that's straightforward. So let's talk about income and stocks. Again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because rates are so low. Probably is going to have a smaller allocation than you would normally hit, have. And notice I said income, not fixed income or specifically bonds. And again, I don't talk about it because it's been such a terrible environment. On the income side of things, though, I will buy things like REITs and utilities. Yes, these are stocks, but I'll include them on the income side of the portfolio because that's what I'm buying them for. I'm buying them for income. I break down the income allocation into three part parts, just like my buckets of money. I have a short-term, intermediate, and a long-term. And I generally break it down according to the length of maturities. The short maturity bucket is from now to three or four years. The intermediate bucket, three to 10 years, and then the longer term is 10 years or more. Now, you're not looking at maturities based on your needs, but you're based off, you're breaking them up because of interest rates. And how much you want in each bucket is going to depend on your view of interest rates. If you think interest rates are going to go up over the next couple of years, well, then you're going to want to have more and shorter maturities now. Just because if you buy a one year CD and you think rates double in a couple of years, well, those CDs come due and you can reinvest at higher rates, right? Now, if you think rates are definitely going down over the next couple of years, well, then you may want to do the opposite. You may want to buy longer maturities and lock in that yield, right? So it all depends on your view of interest rates. What I would say is don't go all in. Don't make a huge bet one way or another. I prefer to have a laddered approach or what we call a laddered approach. In other words, some in each bucket just because you don't know what's going to happen with interest rates. You, you just don't. Right now, I'd prefer to have quite a bit more in the shorter and intermediate maturities and less in the longer-term maturities because I do think that the long-term tendency will be for rates to drift higher. 
maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, next week, what have you. But over the long term, I'd suspect that they do increase. Again, only time will tell. For those two buckets, the, the intermediate and the longer term, well, what you can look at there are things like corporate bonds, municipal bonds, if it's a taxable account. You could add some high yield or or floating rate securities, but I'd be careful and I'd do it sparingly um, as far as the high yield is concerned. You know, they're called junk bonds for a reason, right? <laughs> um, and I'd say focus mainly on quality. This is supposed to be the safer type of money, the income side of things, right? And some of the biggest blowups I've seen have come from the income side. If you're going to dabble in the high yield area, well, you should probably do it through some kind of fun. You don't want to own just one or two junk bonds. For me, that's just too much risk. I, I, I wouldn't try and get too slick here. In the longer term bucket, the longer maturities, 10 years or plus, that's where I account for the equities. Like I said, I'm not opposed to buying the REITs, real estate investment trust, or the utilities for income. Since they are stocks, they don't come due. They don't have maturities. And I don't think there's anything, I look at it, I don't think there's anything wrong with owning something like a, an AT&T, symbol T. You look at that, and I'm getting a 6% dividend. That's what I'm buying it for. I'm buying it for the dividend, for the uh, bond proxy, as, you, as it were. I might get some growth, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the income from it. In, in that bucket, you could also look at things called preferred stocks too. But you, if you do that, you really need to do your homework because a stock is a stock, but each preferred, well, it's its own unique animal. They all have different call features, maturities, all different kinds of things. So you really need to know what you're doing there. So to sum it up on the income side, Look at having these three different maturity buckets with more on the shorter and intermediate side and stay focused on quality. Okay. Now let's talk about the stock allocation. And I'm going to stick with this three bucket theme here. The three buckets I have for stocks are the core holdings, the longer term trades, and then a catch all, like kind of your drunk drawer. I like having a, a, a good bit in the core holdings. And these are the stocks that you buy and you want to own forever. And there's not tons of them. There's only a handful that I consider core stocks. You buy them, you want to own them forever. At least that's the thought. These are the great businesses that are going to do well over the long term. Maybe not every year, but over the long term, they should do well. These are the Berkshire Hathaways. These are the Johnson & Johnsons. Uh, the Pepsi Colas. These are the businesses that you think are going to be there no matter what. If the market goes down, yes, they're probably going to go down, but you probably aren't going to worry. It's not going to keep you up late at night wondering if Pepsi is going to be around tomorrow or if they're going to go bankrupt. If times get tough, people are still going to buy their Band-Aids from Johnson & Johnson. They're still going to drink their Diet Pepsis with dinner. They're going to pay their Geico car insurance. These are what a lot of people call the blue chips, just great, high quality businesses run by good management teams. And the core stocks are different from the second bucket, the longer term trades, as I call them, because the longer term trades, well, they're more cyclical. Doesn't mean that they aren't good businesses or they aren't run by good managers. 
It just means that there are times when you want to own them and times when you don't want to own them. They have their ups and downs. Good example of that is uh, the oil stocks or the home builders. They go through this natural boom and bust cycle and each industry is different. And usually the holding periods for these types of longer term trades, these stocks, is a year or at least a year. That way you can get long-term capital gains treatments. So you want to own them from a year to maybe three, maybe even five years. But they're not going to be in the portfolio forever because there's going to be a time where the cycle is going to turn down and you're going to want to be out of them. So I like to have about 50% of my holdings in core type stocks, maybe another 30% in longer term trades. And that leaves me with the other 20% left over, which I use as my catch-all. This 20%, I use to augment the rest of the portfolio. If I feel I need more international exposures or exposure, or if, the, if I think the emerging markets are going to do well, I might add a closed-end fund or something using that money. But no matter what bucket I'm trying to fill, I want to make sure that I'm staying value-oriented in my approach. You, are, you folks already know I'm cheap. I like to buy good, high-quality businesses when I think that they're inexpensive. And that's not to say I turn a blind, a blind eye to growth stocks because I don't. I like having at least 10 or 15% of my portfolio in these types of names. I already told you I own uh, Apple, Amazon, and Google. Because these stocks are going to do well over time too. So let's try and wrap all this up. First, you need a good financial plan to know what a reasonable asset allocation might look like for you. And you're not going to be able to proceed without it. Everyone is different. And just because it's good this year, you want to make sure that you're revisiting it at least once a year because things change. So you want to stay flexible on the income side. Focus on quality. Don't make any big all-in bets on the direction of interest rates. Don't do it. For stocks, focus on value and have a good dose of your holdings in what I call the core stocks. And from there, you can build on with the longer-term trades, those more cyclical type of businesses. And to finish the allocation out, you put in the other stuff that you might think help would help the portfolio, like the international stocks. Hey, if you're if you're a gold bud, you can add gold or emerging markets or what have you. Again, if you need a uh, need help putting a plan together, if you had have questions about asset allocation, feel free to reach out. You can email me at podcast. It's plural podcast at xmlfg.com. Or just give us a call at 301-770-5234. Okay, that's all I have time for today. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. during this podcast are those of the hosts and may not necessarily be those of XML Financial Group. 
Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.